your phone or your Bible, some device, you'll be looking at the text. Um, We are in Proverbs. We'll be beginning in Proverbs 4 this morning, but we'll be jumping around. So if you haven't been with us for very long, um, really what we do here is we just teach through, straight through books of Scripture. Um, Proverbs, though, is a little different because Proverbs are a collection of like these kind of short, pithy, vivid imagery statements, primarily from Solomon. There's some others who contributed, but because it's wisdom, they're not really meant to be read like start to finish. Um, they're, they're a collection of thoughts, of sayings. And so what we have done is we've kind of looked at wisdom the first couple weeks, and now what we're doing is we're taking topics pulled from Proverbs and looking at what the, what does Proverbs and the rest of Scripture teach on this on this thought or this idea. And so we have defined wisdom as being skilled at living, right? The ability to, to kind of write, rightfully navigate life. The wisdom is being skilled at living because if we're if we're honest, it would be really easy to take Proverbs and and to feel really religious, like we gotta work harder, try harder, do better. And what we need to be reminded of um, whenever we're in Proverbs is, is that Jesus is wisdom. He is the embodiment of God's wisdom. He is the source of wisdom. And so where we go for wisdom is by asking Jesus. It's by going to his word and to his direction that he has given us through his spirit. That he is wisdom. That it is not merely asking for more intellectual knowledge or having more things that we know. But it is being able to rightly navigate life. And I think there's um, kind of a strange view of, of Christianity that's pretty prevalent, and it's that, that Christianity is just a list of do's and don'ts, of rights and wrongs, of rules and regulations. And that there's this um, idea out there that you have to kind of white-knuckle your, your walk with Jesus. That if anything good's going to happen, it's just going to be because like, you just bore down and, and push through. And that it can sometimes feel like, especially to those who don't yet know Jesus, that it's powerless. Like that there's no power in it at all. It's just a matter of, right, like trying really hard. And so this morning, the topic we're going to look at from Proverbs is this idea of self-control. And so self-control probably fits um, this week as we've looked at emotions in the last three weeks, as we've looked at conflict. That self-control sometimes is one of those ideas that we look at someone and we just kind of say they either have it or they don't. I have it or you don't, or you, you have it and I don't. That it feels like it's kind of an on-off switch. That, that you're either able to control yourself or not. And for some of us, maybe you're thinking, hey, I don't have an issue with this. And yet we know that self-control goes from the mundane and the simple into the, the biggest areas of life. Right? That it can be about, I'll have one more slice of pizza, please. To, I can't put this book down and go to bed at a proper time. Um, to the way that we spend our money. To the things that we take, it, like the intake of the things that we view on media or the internet. To gossip. To potentially just a self-denial that is beyond healthy. Um, that we have white-knuckled things um, to a place that we actually have really good self-control and it's an unhealthy thing. Um, if you are a parent or a grandparent... Self-control is an ever-before-you project, um, as you look at those who lack it in front of you, um, not to mention yourself. <laughs> and so we tend to say things like, hey, I'll, I'll try again, I'll do better tomorrow, this time will be different. And 
yet self-control feels like it is this ever-elusive thing that we just cannot quite grab hold of. And so first, I just want us to kind of begin by saying, what is self-control? And ultimately, it's pretty simple. It's, it's the ability to self-bridle, right? It's the ability to live within boundaries. So it's one of those ideas that is super simple. It means what it says. It's self-control. It just doesn't mean it's easy, right? And so there are a lot of things in Scripture that are simple. They're not hard, to, they're not hard concepts to grasp. They're just really difficult to, to live out. And I think self-control is going to fall into that for us this morning. What it isn't is it's not white-knuckling our, our walk with Jesus. That is not what it is, and that's not what we're called to. It's not legalism, but it is wisdom and going to the source of wisdom. And so I want us to begin with just kind of a comparison and a contrast here. If you're open to Proverbs 4, look at beginning in verse 20. Proverbs 4.20. The first, remember, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are a little more like songs or, or poetry that are put together. So you can read the first nine um, with a little more uh, coherence than you can uh, ten and on where we see just the, the list of Proverbs. So we see here, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and they're healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the left or to the right, and turn your foot from evil." And so what's being described here is just someone who is kind of, they're in control, they're wise, they're attentive to the, the, the teaching that has been before them. He's guarding his heart, he's watching his mouth, he's looking ahead, and his path has been laid out before him, right? And there's not a stumbling, there's not falling into sin. This is a path of wisdom, of self-control. Because obviously the option is being said, hey, you, you, you don't have to control your speech, you don't have to put devious talk far from you. Your eyes can gaze elsewhere. So he's saying you're, if you're in control, this is what wise living would look like. Compare this to the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. Again, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, the same type of language. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. Right? And so we see that there's kind of two paths laid out before us. We've seen this so far in Proverbs, that there's the way of the fool and the way of the wise, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, the way of the saved and the way... Of the lost, and that one who is not self-controlled hears something they like and they pursue it, not seeing that death is coming with it, the destruction is coming with it, that foolishness comes with it. They're not being careful or attentive; they are being foolish and headed towards destruction. And so, ultimately, self-control is, is maybe a topic you don't think of a lot in Scripture. 
And yet, if you look as most of Paul's letters, one of the things that he is constantly saying, older men, teach younger men to be self-controlled. Older women, teach younger women to be self-controlled. Older men and older women, be self-controlled. Right? It's, it's a constant thing. It's actually a requirement to be an elder in the church is that you're a man of self-control. And yet, maybe one of the most famous passages we have on this kind of this battle that is going on within us is this. This is Paul in Romans 7, beginning in verse 15. So Paul's writing about himself here, and he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not do what... Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Look at verse 24 then. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? And you just, you hear the pain and the anguish in Paul where he's saying, look, the things I want to do, I don't always do it. The things I don't want to do, I find those easy to do. Like, I'm I'm in torment. Like, I am not able to always navigate this battle that is going on within me. And I think we could just kind of all look at Paul and say, amen, right? We feel this too. This is our norm as well. And so I want us to look at what does a lack of self-control look like? I think Paul has described it well, but why is it, why is it so hard for us? If you go back to Proverbs chapter 25, Verse 27 and 28, we see this. Solomon writes, It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. But listen to verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without city walls. So he paints this picture for us. He says, listen, a person that lacks self-control is a city without walls. And as you picture that imagery of a city without walls, a city without walls is is vulnerable to attack, right? It's just a matter of time. It is absolutely inevitable that an attack is going to come if there are no defenses. And so we, we, we get this imagery, but why is this the case? Well, first and foremost, it is because we are rebels against a holy God that we have said, not your way, our way. And this isn't just some of us who have run hard away by living very opposed to Christianity. This is all of us. And some of us, in a very religious way, look at God and say, not your way, but my way. In a very morally acceptable way, we say, not your way, but my way. I want my glory in my way. We have a broken nature because of the fall of man. Because sin has cracked things, it's separated things, it's broken things. That we have this war inside of us that Paul is describing because we are rebels against a holy God. We know that there should be some more power or control, and yet we want it. Right? That we have been affected by the fall, and then our own actions continue to show that we are rebels. Another reason why self-control is difficult is because we enjoy sin. Hebrews 11 tells us that, that 
right, that Moses was willing to give up the fleeting pleasures of sin, right, and what was going on in Egypt to serve his people. What Hebrews 11 is telling us is there is pleasure in sin. It's fleeting, it's temporary, but there is pleasure. And so why do we lack self-control? Because we like what we're doing, right? It brings about some enjoyment and some satisfaction. Why else do we do it? Not just because we're rebels with a broken nature, not just because we enjoy it, but because that's what we're doing. We are seeking satisfaction, right? And there's this voice in us saying, just one more time. We can try again tomorrow. When, when the new year rolls around, right? Next month. Just one more time. And what the enemy is whispering to us, what the enemy is doing, is he's crafty. And he's saying you have to have more. And just one more, and then you can stop. Engage one more time in sin, and then you'll, you'll have your fill, and you'll be able to go on. And yet, we know that sin is a trap that ensnares. And what is happening is there's actually a law of diminishing return. That what once brought you a heightened sense of pleasure that lasted for a while, now what sin does is we need more of it, more often, with less return. That we have to go further and further to get the same small bit of high that we once got, the same bit of satisfaction that we once got. And so why do we struggle with self-control? It's because we are seeking satisfaction in places that are only going to temporarily satisfy us, and yet we don't know how to break loose from it or to find freedom from it. And the fourth thing is this. It's not just that we're rebels, that we enjoy it, that we're seeking satisfaction. It's that we have an enemy who is crafty and who knows how to draw you in. Right? And so we begin to become numb to our sin, to begin to think it's not that big of a deal. Listen to Paul. This is in Ephesians chapter 4. He writes this in verse 18. He's talking about the futility of, of sinners. And then he says in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Listen, due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, ev- to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned in Christ. Remember Hebrews that we just finished teaching through told us that if we're not careful we will drift and when we drift we're not drifting towards holiness we're drifting towards sin that if we're not intentional then we are drifting away and so we have an enemy that is looking to do one of two things one is just to destroy you if if he can open you up to sin that will destroy you if your city walls are down and he can entice you right with greed or with power or with sex right with, with, with illegal drugs, with things that will destroy you and, and land you in jail, right? He'll destroy you. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his task, and he wants to devour you. But for some of us, we're like, hey, that's not my issue. I don't, I don't really have these big sins that are going to destroy me. And so what he wants to do is distract you. And he just wants to kind of keep you baited, right? Just kind of keep you like, ah, I struggle a little bit. And you feel distracted. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fix this tomorrow. I'll do better tomorrow. And you begin to think what Jesus wants is for you to just try a little harder and do a little better. And what the enemy is doing is keeping you completely off of mission. 
because you're so worried about your little kind of pet sin, your little issue, that's not going to actually destroy you, but you can't get rid of it. And so now I don't really run very hard after Jesus, and I don't really pursue the lost, because, man, if they knew this thing that I can't just get rid of, even though it's not illegal, it's embarrassing, it's shameful, and he just begins to distract us. And so he's happy to destroy you, and he's happy to keep you off mission via distraction. In church, we have an enemy. Like, we have one who's looking to do this. And so, if our walls are down, if we lack self-control, then we are vulnerable to attack. Right? And it's not even a heart attack. It's just like, I guess I'll walk in here. Right? Like, you don't have a wall. And so I don't have to, like, pound at you anyway. I just walk in and take what I want. And so we are defenseless, and you know it. You know you've lost control, and it feels inevitable. And so then we are given to excess. And for some of you, are going, man, I don't think excess is my thing. But what it is for you is it's an excess of control. That you have found a way to control, right, via the amount you work out or the amount you eat, right, or the amount that you do religious things or the amount that you, like... You have found a way to like hold on and now you control, right? And so there's no self-control because you just have to hold on. So really this morning, the first thing we need to do is to ask the Spirit to give us eyes to look at our life and our walls. Where are they cracked? Where are they down? Where are they weak? God, where am I most vulnerable to attack and to temptation? Where do I lack self-control? Do I have walls at all? Ask him to reveal that and repent, right? That we would turn from it. Now, listen, this is where it would be very easy for this message to turn into, all right, now, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to try harder. Here's how we're going to do better. Here's how we're going to build our walls up and develop control. And yet that's not good news. Because we've already tried that. We've tried that in every form and every fashion. Right? We've tried um, lack of self-control. We've tried being over-controlling. Right? What do we do? Where is the hope and the power? How are we aided? And we have to start here. We have to recognize we do need rescue. That we do need hope. And that we can't do it. We are not able to do this. And if we go back to Paul's section in Romans... In Romans 7, we read in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In verse 25, he immediately then says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? So he's saying, who can, who can rescue me? Jesus can. Who can give me hope? Jesus can. Who can give me control? Right? And so that I'm not owned like this any longer? Jesus can. That through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection... That he has brought power. If we turn back to Proverbs. Chapter 16. Verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And here's the portion I want us to focus on. He who rules his spirit. right? He who has self-control is greater than the one who takes a city. He's saying, listen, if you are able to have self-control in your life, you're far more impressive than a warrior who can take a city. 
Right? Many people have accomplished great things in what has been the ruin of their demise themselves. They have brought, right? No one could stop them except them. And they cannot control themselves. They could control armies and cities. They could control, um, right, business, money, relationships, but they could not control themselves. So he says, the one who can rule his own spirit is greater than the one who can take a city. If you turn over to chapter 18, verse 10, the, song, or the, the proverb states, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. And then one more here. This is um, Galatians 5. Verse 22 and 23. As we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Lastly, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So here's what, here's what we, we can learn from Scripture. The hope and the power that we have comes from God. Right? That, that we run to Him, that He is our strong tower, and the righteous run to it. We know that our hope is in Him and not in our ability to be self-controlled. And that it's literally a gift from God, that part of the fruit of the Spirit that you get when you receive the Holy Spirit, one of the aspects is self-control. Right? That we can begin to, to have some, some power, some energy to fight back. And so the first thing I want us to notice is that the power is not in your ability to white-knuckle. The power is in the fact that it is given by God himself. Self-control is a gift from God. Because listen, if you're white-knuckling things in your life, who gets the glory there? You do. Right? Now, you may be barely hanging on, but you're like, whew, I hung on. Who gets the glory, right, is, is, a, is a question of a believer's life. That we're saying, it's not me, it's God. That it's, I'm not sufficient, I'm not enough, but He is, and He has adopted me in as a son or a daughter of the King. We are asking God for help and self-control. We are trusting Him that He will supply richly and deeply all that we need for life and godliness. And that we are giving thanks to Him when He does this. We are trusting asking and thanking him that God is the one who will give us the ability to have self-control in our life. Listen to Paul's words to Titus in Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Listen, he does not say live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives so that God will like you and rescue you. He says we have to renounce our worldly passions, our inability to control things, and when God rescues us, he begins to give us the, the spirit, right? He gives us the spirit, doesn't begin to, he gives us the spirit, and we begin to develop self-control, which is the fruit of the spirit, which means we begin to image Jesus more and more. And we want it to be, right, just instant. Now we have it. But it is a process of us learning, asking, trusting, and thanking Jesus when we see it. And here's the thing. It's not going to be fun. 
It's not going to be fun. It's going to be difficult. And we're going to need the grace of God on a moment-by-moment daily basis to have it. And so it is far easier to say, I don't want it. And we lose that battle often because we're just like, it's too hard. And it feels too unnatural and it feels too uncomfortable. So, how are we aided? How can we have hope and self-control? The first is this, it is empowered by God himself. But the second is this, is that he gives us a vision of the prize and of the reward. I want you to think about those who have self-control. Often, who we think of are athletes. Right? The Olympics are coming this year, 2020 Summer Games, right? And so there are people right now who are doing insane things to their body, right? Watching their calories in an insane way, right? Doing these things for this, literally some of their races will last like 10 seconds, right? Like, and they're, they're spending years, decades for this one moment. This one moment. Now, are we to believe that what they like is that they're just a different, like, quality of human, right? And so they just enjoy, right, the, the, the strict regiment? Yeah, no, they don't. It's that they have seen that there's something worth more than the pain and the sacrifice that they're going through. They want the prize. They want the glory. They want the fame. They want the renown that comes with it, right? And so they will do whatever it takes to gain that. And so even putting their body to pain and discomfort of saying no to things that they don't want to say no to because they've put their eyes on the prize. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So what he's saying is this, is that Jesus has given us the power, but he's also given us the thing to look to. And what is it? It's him, right? That we would one day have Jesus say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Right, that we would want him. It's, it's the argument that we saw in Hebrews of why those prior to Christ right, would lean into faith in God. It's because they saw a heavenly city, a reward that, that promised more than the lies of this world. That it promised more satisfaction and more joy than anything this world had to offer. And so an athlete believes the thing that will bring him the most pleasure or her the most pleasure is winning. And so I'll do what I have to to control my body to win. Which means they say no even when it hurts. But church, here's the thing. So do we say no even when it hurts? Sometimes I think we think the Christian life should be easy. And if the Spirit is leading us, then it should just be like, like all, the, all the roadblocks just move out of the way. But here's the encouragement for you this morning. If you are fighting, if you're saying no when it's hard, if you're looking to live a life of self-control that honors Jesus... This fight has an end. There will be a day where you'll be made perfectly right. Right? We, we have a bit of that now. It's already, but not yet in fullness. But there will be a day where the struggle and the strife and the tears and the fight will be done. And you will be with God for eternity. Resting and enjoying 
and worshiping and knowing him. Right? And so if we can begin to see that as the thing that we're looking to, right, if that's what we're looking for, then this thing over here that owns us begins to look less important because that far outweighs this. Right? And so we're going, what are we looking to? If you remember, there was um, years ago, they did the, the marshmallow test, right? With like four or five-year-olds. And they're like, they set a kid in there for 15 minutes. And they're like, hey, if you don't eat it in 15 minutes, I'll give you another one. Which is like, only a five-year-old would think that's a good deal, right? Right? Like, but the goal was, right, don't eat the marshmallow, show self-control. And the kids who typically did it, it's because they didn't look at it. Right? Like they're looking at anything other. I mean, they're singing songs. They're like, I mean, they're saying that's not a marshmallow. That's a booger. You know I mean, like, right? Like they're, they're trying to say, I don't, but if the kids who just sat there and looked at it, like they, they were done for, they were lost because it was like, I have to eat it. I have to have it. Church. Some of us are so focused on our sin and on our issue that Jesus is like, doesn't look glorious at all. He doesn't look big at all because our sin looks big because we're looking at it like this. And we can't see anything else. And he's saying, if you'll look to me, the prize, the reward that I've given you the power that you need, your sin can begin to lose its taste and its control and its hold on you. And so it means that we pursue the right things. We pursue wisdom. We pursue Jesus even when it's difficult and even when it's not exciting. Because sin is going to be over here going, this is more fun. It's a shortcut. You'll get pleasure. You'll get satisfaction now. Now. You can have it now. Don't you want it now? You can have it now. And Jesus is saying, trust me. Walk with me. The reward is greater. We're like, but it looks good. So he's saying, keep your chin lifted. Church, what this means is we have to make a plan. Ed Welch. Um, says we have to have a clear and public strategy, right? That it's not just that we're trying to have self-control within ourselves and we're not going to bring anyone else in. We're saying, I need help. My tendency is to fall into this sin. I lack self-control in this area, so I need to bring it into the light. I need you to know it. And so whether it's we're pursuing accountability, we're pursuing, uh, um, pursuing counseling, we're pursuing wisdom, we're bringing people in to say, this thing currently has me. I don't want it to have me. I want to be able to begin to, to, to walk in the power that God has given me. I want to begin to see Jesus as more. That's why scripture would tell us that we flee sin. We don't play with it. We don't wander around it. We don't see how close we can get to it. We get away from it. Church, we hate evil. We treasure Jesus. Right? The appetite that you're feeding right now will either empower you to love Jesus more or empower you to feel like your sin is better than you think it is. What are you feeding? What appetite are you giving a clear pathway to? Church, ultimately the question this morning is this, is do you trust that God is good? Do you trust that there is satisfaction in Him, that there is a reward in Him, that there is hope in Him, that He can give you a way through this, like we saw in Proverbs 4, Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? This desire to know him and to pursue him. 
And so it's why we can take a passage that feels so familiar, like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 and 7. But listen to it now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on what you think will bring you satisfaction. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Turn away from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. He's saying, if you find me, if you pursue me, if you follow me, you will get the peace, the satisfaction, the joy that sin offers in a fleeting way that wants to destroy you. Do you believe it? Whose voice has a wider sway in your life right now? The temptations of this world that do offer satisfaction, that do offer pleasure, but it won't last. Or God Almighty who says, right, you will have pleasures forevermore at my right hand. And we look to Jesus, right, who was obedient to the point of going to the cross, right? Like where everyone's like trying to pull him away. Don't do that. That's hard. That's pain. And you say, no, no, no. What's on the other side is good. And so I'll do the hard thing right now because I've got my eyes not on just the cross, but on God, who I want to bring glory to. So church, what do we treasure most? You are not crazy to believe that there's more joy and satisfaction in Jesus and to so to say no to things that others say yes to. Maybe the, the news you need to hear this morning is that there's, you don't have to be a slave to sin. That Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, you don't have to be a slave to sin any longer, but you can belong to me. And I will give you the vision of reward. I'll give you the power I will make you mine, make you a son or a daughter. So if we read Proverbs 18.10 one more time. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. We contrast that with Proverbs 25 that says, The one who lacks self-control is a city without walls. Your ability to be self-controlled is not what saves you. It's the strong and mighty and righteous name of Jesus that saves us. And in that we will find security. And in that we will find self-control. And in that we will have city walls that make us less vulnerable. That we will fight the good fight. Peter writes it this way. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 and 6. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. Right? In verse 8, for these qualities are yours and increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Self-control allows you to rightly reflect the image of God, but it also makes you fruitful on mission as you pursue others. To know and to trust Jesus. So church, would we be a place that would use the word of God. That he shows us what wisdom is and what it isn't. That we would use one another. We would use others past experiences. Right to continue to let us look at Jesus. 
Would we ask for wisdom and self-control from God himself, the giver of it? If your Jesus is small this morning, would you ask him to reveal more of himself, that he would look bigger because he is. He is bigger and better than you believe he is. And he is bigger and better than your sin. Church, if the Spirit is bringing up areas where your walls are down, that we would repent of that. And church, would we be a place that would give grace to those who currently lack self-control? Especially in an area where you have it. Right? Like, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance, not your judgment. Right? Not your browbeating. Right? No one is standing there going, what I love about myself, I lack self-control. Right? No, one, no one's proud of their lack of self-control. And so would we not believe ourselves to be superior if the Lord has grown self-control in you? But would we say there is hope and Jesus is enough? And as we feed that appetite and as we treasure Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Because Jesus is enough. So our hope and our desire here is that we would hold Jesus up and that through his spirit he would reveal more of himself that our sin would begin to fall away as we cling to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we first and foremost um, just need to confess we're not very self-controlled. That this is an issue for everyone in the room. For all of us. And yet, God, we know that it is a fruit of the Spirit, and we long for it, we desire it. And so, Father, right now, whether we are thinking about it in small ways or in big ways, God, it's things that we're looking to simply distract us or things that will own and destroy us. God, that you would reveal yourself, that we would hear you calling us by name, that we would see you standing, we would see your glory and your holiness God, that we would long to have you someday look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, the pleasures that are at your hand, Lord, that there is nothing that will satisfy us more than you can because you are the maker of satisfaction, the maker of pleasure. God, would we believe those things so that the pleasures of this world and the lies of the enemy would look like the deceitful things that they are, that we would have eyes to see what they actually are, not the veneer that the world puts on them. God, we need you to do that. God, would we be a people who run to the righteous tower of the Lord to find our rescue and our safety? And Jesus, would you loom large in our lives and in the life of Redeemer? Would you work and move now to bring about repentance, to bring about salvation, to bring about maturity? In Jesus' name, amen.